You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. something different on the podcast today i'm going to uh, put on my relationship hat and dole out some relationship advice well not advice really i i wouldn't deign to uh, point myself as an arbiter of such things i've been married uh, five years yeah five years we have three kids wait let me think yeah three kids um we certainly are not experts i think if you hit i don't know what's the what is expert 10 20 years not 10, 20 years, maybe 25, or it may have less to do with years and and more to do with life experience. So certainly once you've been married a while, you've, you've had your kids go through all their phases. They moved out of the house. Well, then you're basically an expert, but even then you can't rest on your laurels and uh, maybe you're never an expert. And now that I think about it, because you, once you, once you master uh, a certain phase of parenting or marriage, then you move on to the next one and you're a rookie in that phase. So even when I think about my parents who have been married for 30, 35 years, six kids, all the kids are now out of the house. All of them are now married or getting married, or one is in a convent, is a nun. They've uh, done it all and seen it all. But even then, they, so now they're in a, a, new, a new phase for them, uh, relatively new. And, and so that, I'm, I'm sure, presents its own challenges. Marriage requires continued work, but certainly after five years, if you could ever be an expert, I don't know, but five years is not enough time. You got to put in some more, put in some more time. So what I want to do today then is just offer an observation. And it's an observation that has to do, that has to do simply with the nature of marriage and uh, is therefore an observation that anyone could make. Even an unmarried person could make this observation, but you know, this is all I do. I just state the obvious. Um, It is. I hate to say it, but in a way, it's fortunate for my job that we live in such an insane, confused culture because I can just say obvious things and everybody reacts with shock like this is the first time they've ever heard it because maybe it is. But all I'm doing is saying obvious things. I don't think, maybe I shouldn't even be saying this because now I'm convincing you to just tune me out. But I don't think that I'm offering or have offered really searing, penetrating insights that nobody could have thought of. There are people who do that and have done that throughout history. I'm not one of them. All I can do is just look at plain reality and say, well, there's reality. So that's what I'm going to do here. And I'll tell you what brought this to mind. I recently got into a discussion with a number of people about, you know, about parent stuff. It was a parent conversation. 
and this is speaking of new phases, this is somewhat new, even though we've had kids for a while now, we have three kids. I, it's a somewhat new thing for me where I'm hanging out with parents more. And so you have a lot of parent conversations and we were talking about the, it happens more with women, but even with men find yourself roped into these parent conversations. We were talking about the nighttime routine with babies. When you have a small baby, you know, the nighttime is difficult. Someone asked me uh, about it and I said that, well, my wife handles most of the most of the nighttime stuff with our baby because he generally cries when he wants to breastfeed. And my wife is uniquely equipped to handle those kinds of situations because she's the one who does most of the lactating in our relationship. So she can generally, when there's a breastfeeding scenario, she's the one who steps up to the plate there. She'll wake me up if there's something else she needs help with. But most of the time, my assistance is not required. Although I do assist where I can when I can, if there's a reason to. And certainly I'm generally the one to deal with our other two kids, the twins, three-year-olds, when they have nighttime issues of any kind, which happens somewhat regularly. There's something going on. Someone is sick, someone is thrown up, someone is, has a nightmare, whatever. This logical arrangement works for our marriage, but not according to someone who was in the conversation who was uh, somewhat scandalized to hear about this. And she told me that she forces her husband to wake up with her at night, even though she breastfeeds. And even though he has to rise early for work in the morning, she forces him and he can't help. There's nothing really he can do because uh, he can't, he doesn't breastfeed either. But she forces him to wake up because it isn't fair for her husband to sleep while she's awake. She's keeping score. She has a running tally in her head. She's making sure that everything is equal. And it's really important to make sure everything is equal. But of course, it's not really equal. Because she's awake in order to fulfill the physical needs of her child. Her husband is awake in order to placate his wife's resentment. So that's a very different... They're both awake, but they're awake for decidedly unequal reasons. And so it got me thinking about this selfish desire for equality and this notion that you know we have to have an equal marriage an equal partnership and this exists on both sides of the marital coin by the way there are um of course men who come home from work let's say they have a stay-at-home uh wife and they come home from work or a wife who works less than them works part-time whatever you know whatever the situation is and they come home from work and they want a full accounting of everything that their stay-at-home wife has done that day because it wouldn't be fair if they put in eight, nine, 10 hours of uh, work and their wife only did five and a half hours of commensurate, uh, commensurate labor, it, it wouldn't be equal, you see. So there are some men who you know I've talked to who push their wives to get jobs outside of the house, not for financial reasons, although you know that happens and that's different, but or for really any other reason, but just because you know, this does happen, that you have men who say that they want their wives to work just because they're not convinced that the work she's doing inside the house is equal to the work he's doing outside of it. And they want to make sure that everything is equal because they have resentment and they feel like they're working too hard. They're working more. They're working in an unequal amount. And the thing is, once the wife is challenged this way, she'll often respond by questioning whether the man's job at the office is really as hard as her job at home with the kids. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this kind of thing from uh, from some women, um, not not my wife. She, in fact, she's very opposed to these kinds of conversations when women get into them. But 
I have heard this from many women that, uh, you know, to be, to be a breadwinner and work outside the house, that's a vacation compared to what a woman does. It's like vacation. It's, it's practically nothing. You, you know, you get coffee breaks. You get to use the bathroom without a kid running in after you. You get to drive by yourself and sit in traffic, which is a great treat. And then once this goes on, then men will respond and they'll say, yeah, you know, but, uh, but you can put the kids down for a nap or they go to school. You can put the TV on for them and on and on back and forth. Both partners stacking their contributions up against each other forever in competition, forever ungrateful, perpetually victimized, wanting always to make things equal. While, by the way, still relishing the persecution complex that the unfairness affords them. So they want, they want things to be equal, but on the other hand, they don't because they like to feel like they're doing more and to have that to hold over the other person's head. This is what we get when we obsess over making things equal, especially in our marriages. And I think this, this is the case across the board in almost all facets of life. When we, you know, this obsession with equality in all facets of life is for the most part uh, damaging because equality is not something that actually really exists. Equality doesn't exist anywhere. I mean, it, it, equality is not a thing that actually exists in any kind of quantifiable uh, way. The only form of equality that exists in the universe is the fact that we as children of God are equal in inherent worth and dignity. So nobody, you know, we're all, no one is more a person than someone else. And God loves us all. So in that sense, we're, we're equal. But beyond that, we're not equal at all. And the thing is, for, so if you're talking about equality in that sense, then fine. But nine times out of 10, when someone's talking about equality, they don't mean it that way. So let's put that to the side though. I, I'm of the opinion that this egalitarian mindset is not only damaging, but incoherent for the most part, because it's, it's, it speaks to something that simply doesn't exist, but particularly in marriage, an equal marriage. And we hear this all the time, you know, we got to have an equal marriage, but it's an unachievable fantasy. Husband and wife are not equal to each other. And therefore their contributions are not going to be exactly identical and shouldn't be. You know, I, despite what society might say, I could look at my wife and I can see that she is not equal to me. She's not equal because she's not the same. Uh, I married her for that reason. Why would I need to marry someone identical to myself? Why would I want to? I wasn't looking to marry someone equal to me. I was looking to marry someone who was emphatically not me. And that's the glorious thing about my wife is that she is not me. She is herself. That's, that's what I like about her, is that she is herself. And it's a very different self, an, un, an unequal self. Um, and the whole joy and challenge and pleasure and hardship of, 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 of this vocation, the marital vocation, is found in these two unequal, disparate selves building something lasting and fruitful together. One of the problems we run into, and I think it's, a, it's an immaturity for a lot of us, is that anytime we hear things are unequal, we always have to assume, well, that means someone's superior and someone's inferior. And we're obsessed with this. Well, who's the superior one? Just because two things aren't equal doesn't mean that one's better than the other. An apple and an orange are not equal. They're not the same. They are different things. In, in, only in the most abstract way can you say that an apple and orange are equal. Uh, but in reality, they're not. 
but is one superior to the other? I, I mean, no, they're just two different kinds of fruits. It depends on, you know, I guess it depends on what kind of juice you're looking for in the morning. But it would be absurd to say that one is intrinsically superior to the other. So that's the problem when we talk about marriage. It's an equal partnership. Equal partner. Like, like it's a business proposition. Like we're starting a law firm together. Like marriage comes with a scorecard. And I think many marriages do have scorecards and the spouses keep a kind of running tally of who's doing what and how much for how long. And at the end of the day, it must be determined that the husband and wife have exerted themselves to the exact same degree and done the same number of chores, relaxed for the same amount of time, experienced the same stress, carried the same burdens, done everything equally and fairly and without without the slightest discrepancy at all. And this is what a true equal partnership marriage looks like. Although, you know, another name for it might be an unhappy marriage. An unhappy marriage between immature people, which of, which often devolves into something called a divorce. And, and oh, you know, we can be sure. We can be sure. That's what a divorce court's all about. You know, we, we can be sure that these equal partners will try very hard to be equal ex-partners in an equal divorce. Split everything down the middle, right? Doesn't usually work out that way, but that's supposedly the ideal But the equal divorce will prove as impossible to maintain as an equal marriage. And so the two will be doomed to live in their bitterness and resentment forever. Something they thought they were escaping by getting divorced, but they discover that it only makes it worse. And they'll constantly update the scorecard and complain about how unfair and uneven everything is. And and I'm not innocent in this regard, by the way. There's a reason why I can speak about this with um, such uh, uh, authority and... uh, because I, I, I've, I've found this in myself. And I found that it's only ever been, when I look at myself, and I think you'd find this the same for you, if you were to be honest. But uh, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I've found that it's only ever been selfishness that's prompted me to wish for more equality in my marriage. I've never stressed about making things equal for generous reasons. Um, I've never done something for my wife in the interests of equality. My passion for equality, whenever it uh, unfortunately is inflamed, always involves things that I want her to do or things I don't want to do anymore or things that I want to do less often or things that I want her to do more often. Uh, that's what it is to be an egalitarian for me. It's uh, when I start thinking along those lines. It is always selfish. But when I am uh, mercifully not giving in to that stupid and destructive temptation, when I'm not thinking about equality, when I'm actually just trying to carry out my duties as a husband and father, doing what I should be doing, fulfilling my responsibilities of servant leadership, you know, trying to take burdens away from my wife so that I can shoulder them. Whenever I am behaving that way, um, it's never in the interest of making things equal. You know, it's, it's not, I, 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 there's, there's not a time when I say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for you. I'm, I'm going to shoulder this burden. Um, because you know what, I I've looked at the scorecard and, uh, I want to do exactly enough to even things out again. So it's equal. It, it, it's not what it is. If I'm doing what I should be doing, I'm doing it just because it needs to be done. I'm doing it because I love my family, right? It's, it's not about making things equal. And in fact, 
in those moments when we are um, actually being selfless, uh, being the kind of people that we should be, if it were to cross our mind that we're doing more, that we're carrying more of a particular burden, that we are shouldering something that our wives and our families don't have to shoulder, in those moments of selflessness, we take joy or we ought to take joy in that fact. We delight in the inequality of it because we know that, you know, we're fulfilling our purpose. I, I, I want that when I'm being, when, when I have my mind right about it, I want that. I want to feel like in this instance, I'm doing more. Not, not because I ha- I'll have it to, to hold over someone's head, not because I'll be ahead on the scorecard, not for any reason like that at all. But just because that's what love is, that's what it means to love somebody, is you want to do everything you can for them. And if you ever get the idea that, hey, maybe I'm doing this and, uh, and you know, th- this will allow them to relax or them to bring them more happiness or whatever, you know, I- I'm suffering this so they don't have to. That's, you know, lo- a- 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 love takes joy in that. Any man should know that our purpose as a husband is to lead our families as Christ leads the church. That is to say, to, to give to our families without any expectation of receiving something equal in return. And the truth is that I know that if I were to give all of myself to my wife, she cannot give something equal in return. She can't. She can only give herself, but herself is different from myself, and it's not equal. There's a common slogan, and I'm sure that even as I'm uh, doing this podcast, that um, someone has already left a, a comment saying that, yeah, that's right, you know, an equal marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. Now, it's true that 100-100 is better than 50-50. And um, indeed, if you're, if you're actually trying to split everything down the middle exactly, like two squab, and there are marriages like this, I've been told, I've heard about, where everything is like exactly down the middle. Every single thing has to be done exactly 50-50, right down, right down, you know, down to the decimal. And those kinds of marriages are, I mean, I hate to say this, but if they don't change, they're doomed. You, you, you can't, you cannot be married like two squabbling siblings. Um, it's just, it, it can't, it can't go on. But I would say that even the, the 100-100 marriage is, um, I wouldn't really put it that way. I wouldn't say that that's what, you know, that, I don't think that's what we're striving for. Because 100-100 is not equal either. And it's also not possible, strictly speaking. Um, Going back to the apple and the orange. 100% of an apple is not the same as 100% of an orange. They're not the same. Even the most self-sacrificial apple cannot turn itself into an orange. It can only be what it is and that's all it can give. So 100% of a husband is not equal to 100% of a wife. A true 100-100 relationship is, uh, is is still not an equal partnership. Because it's two different things. That doesn't mean that one is inferior than the other. You know, one is inferior, one is superior. It just means that one is not the same as the other and therefore not equal. But here's the, the um, maybe more relevant point. Outside of the Holy Family, has any marriage ever actually been 100-100? Has any human spouse in the history of spouses um, ever given himself or herself totally and completely and perfectly to the other without even the slightest hint of self-interest. Is there, is there a perfect marriage anywhere on earth? I tend to doubt it. And in order for that to happen, there would, there would need to be two perfect people. And those two perfect people would need to, you know, have the good fortune of actually meeting each other 
And what are the chances of that anyway? Is there is there a dating site for perfect people? I know there are dating sites for people who think they're perfect. That's, you know, all of them. But um, so it, it just seems there's no perfect. There are no perfect people in the world that I know of. And um, and there are no perfect marriages. So assuming this superhuman marriage doesn't exist or perhaps on earth only existed one time, um, we have to come to the conclusion that the 100-100 marriage is more of an ideal than an actuality. And so as a slogan, it's meaningless. In the real world, even the best marriages are probably more like 87-82 or 74-83 or somewhere in that range. Here's my The point is, your spouse is not giving 100%. Is not. Your spouse is not giving 100%. Because there is a part of your spouse that is dedicated that she or, or or he has dedicated to herself or himself. There is a selfish part of your spouse that is taking some of those percentage points away. They're not giving 100%. And neither are you. Your spouse may be giving less than you or more. I don't know. But the, the, the statistical odds that they're giving the exact same is very low. But who cares? Every moment that we spend trying to calculate our spouse's contribution is a moment that we're giving entirely to ourselves. We're feeding our egos and our sense of entitlement. And in the process of, uh, you know, our own number is dropping rapidly from 86 to 83 to 72 to 61. And before long, we're, you know, we're moving into an apartment and fighting over who gets to keep the dog. All we can really do in a marriage is give, give, even if we're giving more, give, even if we're tired, even if we don't, even if they don't deserve it, even if uh, we think we've already given enough. And this is crucial, give even though we, don't, we aren't both giving in the exact same way. And this is where our culture tends to stumble. I think we all have to give in the same way. But one of the reasons why a wife can't accurately quantify her husband's contributions and compare them to her own is that her husband contributes in a way that she cannot and vice versa. They both give something distinct and they both fulfill a role that the other is not capable of fulfilling. This is why the whole, you know, breaking down the gender roles, pre- pretending everyone's equal, everything's the same. It has not helped us at all in society, but it particularly has not helped our relationships. It especially has not helped our relationships because this is not how relationships function. And I think when you go into it thinking that, well, we're exactly the same, then you think you can compare yourself to the other person more. And, uh, and maybe a man doesn't understand that even aside from, you look at your wife, even aside from everything that she does outwardly that you can see, even aside from all that, there is a, you know, the way she is giving herself spiritually and emotionally, the thing, what she is bearing, you know, in her mind, on her soul, what she is doing, we talk of the totality of her, what she is doing for your family. You can't really understand that because you're not her and you're not a woman. And um, the same goes for women who look at their husbands. You can't really totally understand everything that they're giving to you. And, and you think, well, you know, I know him. Oh, he's easy to know. Yeah, but there are parts of him that you don't know. You don't know everything. You're not him. So there are things he's doing and, and, and burdens that, that he's carrying that you don't understand and you never will because you're not him and he's not you. And, um, and that's it. And that's great. That's okay. It just means you can't compare and you just appreciate what the other person's who the other person is. 
there's a reason why scripture tells us to love our spouse the way that Christ loves the church, church because Christ expressed that love through uh, his ultimate sacrifice. And that sacrifice forms the foundation of Christ's marriage to the church. And, and likewise, sacrifice has to form the foundation of our own personal marriages. You might say that um, the sacrifice should be mutual, but a sacrifice is not really a sacrifice if it's concerned with mutuality. Christ's sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the one in which we're supposed to model ourselves and our marriages after, was far from mutual. He carried his cross for me. I wasn't there to help him. I, I, he, you know, I wasn't there to be crucified in his place. He was crucified in my place. It was a total act of giving. I, 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 I only, not only did I not help, but I contributed to the, um, I put him up there on the cross. I didn't do anything to alleviate his pain. I added to it. So it was a 100% gift of self with nothing given by us in return and nothing ever can be given. And that's what we're supposed to model ourselves after. It's what we're supposed to model our marriages after. And yeah, I'm saying all this. I know it's not easy, but that's what it's supposed to be. You just give, you sacrifice. You just, it doesn't mean that you never notice if someone's really, you know, not working on the marriage at all, has withdrawn from it, you're going to notice these things. You might notice them even more than you should, and you're going to focus on them more than you should, but, you know, we're all going to do it because, again, we're not, we're, we're not perfect. But a way that, the way that the marriage works is that we sacrifice, that we give ourselves, that we serve the other. And I think for the most part, most of the time when the marriage falls apart, it's because both failed in that regard. Now, there might be cases. I'm sure there are cases where one spouse or the other really gives themselves, you know, I mean, as much as they possibly could. Served and served and served and sacrificed, and the other person just rejected it. And it's all their fault. That might exist, but I think that those cases are rare. So I know that if I'm going to be the sort of husband to my wife that Christ is the church, if I'm going to lead my family as Christ leads the church, I have to be willing to give all of myself, period. Equality has nothing to do with it. We have, in this culture, words like duty, responsibility, sacrifice, service, serving, particularly in a marriage. These are things we don't talk about. These have become dirty words. But if we take these things out of marriage, then they don't work. They just don't. If somebody recoils from the notion of serving their spouse, serving them, if someone recoils from that notion, then they shouldn't be married. They shouldn't have gotten married. And uh, they weren't prepared for it. But they did, and, and now they, they better you know, shape up and grow up and, and, and learn what marriage is supposed to be, you know, as we all, which is a process that we're all undergoing, myself included. All right, um, that's the end of my Dr. Phil segment. Although I think, much of this is probably Dr. Phil. I'd never watched Dr. Phil, but I don't think he gets into Christ, you know, Christ's sacrifice and modeling our marriages after Christ. I don't, I don't think he gets into that, does he? Not as far as I know. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys next time. Our Cruce Salus. Godspeed.